This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Are we living in the end times? Our guest today, Dr. Robert Jeffress, joining us at the bottom of the hour, says, In my lifetime, I have never sensed so much unrest in the world. It seems that every day brings a new set of terrifying headlines, and everywhere I go, people are sensing that something big is about to happen. It's as if the world is unraveling right before our eyes. Well, you may feel exactly like that, friends. I doubt that you don't feel like that because that seems to be a predominant feeling in our world today. Whether or not you're a Christian, something big seems to be about to happen. Well, something big happened this last weekend there in Davos, Switzerland. And uh, as we look at some of the things that they said, we have to question whether we're living in the end times out of the World Government Summit They said shock is needed to usher in the new world order. That's a headline. Another member of the World Economic Forum called for farming to become a serious crime equal to genocide. Wow. Are we living in the end times? Well, in the first half of the program today, we're going to be taking a look at the fallout from the World Economic Forum there in Davos, Switzerland, But before we do that, I want to take us back to the 1970s. In the 1970s, there was a group called, well, it was a trio, the Gaither Trio. And then Bill Gaither, the head of that, farmed it out into what was called the Gaither Vocal Band. The Gaither Vocal Band. And during that season, they sang a song. The song was, The King is Coming. Now, how can you sing a song that the king is coming if you don't believe we're living in the end times? Or were they just anticipating the end times? Well, let's get a little bit of that into our bloodstream here today as we launch deeper into the program. The King is Coming. the king is coming. Wow. I just heard the trumpet sounding. Have you heard the trumpet sounding yet? Well, the trumpet sounded from Sinai back when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, and the Bible tells us that the trumpet is again going to sound even louder than it did from Mount Sinai. It sounded so loud from Mount Sinai that the people shrunk in terror. The mountain shook, the mountain was on fire, and the trump of God sounded. But in the end of the age, the angel of the God, the archangel, is going to blow the trump of God, the great shofar from heaven, and the entire world is going to shake in its boots. You think we're shaking in our boots now. You've seen nothing yet. So what are professing Christians supposed to do? 
How are we supposed to respond? Are we supposed to tremble in our boots continually? Well, we should be trembling at the word of the Lord. We should be walking in the fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom. But then beyond that, what should we do? How should we then live? We're going to talk with Dr. Robert Jeffers about that in the second half of the program concerning his new book, Are We Living in the End Times? But before we get to that, let me just uh, bring before you in this first half of the program today the fallout from the World Economic Forum 2024. The first thing that I want to bring to your attention is shock is needed to usher in the world order. That's the headline. During a panel discussion at the summit, Professor Arturo Briss from the IMD, World Competitive Snedder, argued that a shock is needed to shift global society away from the current world order. He insisted that the transformation of the world order cannot be gradual. He told the attendees that elites and world leaders need to address how to use a shock to the world so that it can go through this transformation quickly. He said, how is this transformation going to happen? It has to be, it has to be driven by a part of a certain shock that will happen. Well, friends, the shock will not happen. It will be caused. It will be caused by those who want to bring about this dramatic change in the world, the new world or global order. Again, a world economic farmer member called for farming to become a serious crime equal to genocide. Her name is, actually, she heads up the Stop Ecocide Now. Her name is Yoho Meta, and she argued that fishing and framing should be considered equal to genocide. She insisted that fishing and farming for food should be a serious crime while arguing that it's immoral to make money from these industries. She continued by claiming that farming, fishing, and presumably hunting are mass damage and destruction of nature. So she demanded that these activities should be legally recognized as a serious crime. Do you consider them a serious crime? Well, uh... I guess that remains to be seen, because I'm not hearing your voice, but indeed, I dare say that you're not going to consider those things that are essential to human life a serious crime. But then again, when you're serving the environment, when the environment becomes your master, and you're worshiping Mother Earth while rejecting Father God, what else do you expect? The very things that God created to bless and support humankind, become debunked in favor of the survival of Mother Earth. Somewhere there has to be a balance in there, but there's no place for balance among those who are seeking to drive this new global world order. So let's take a look. We're going to take a look now at a few takeaways from the annual meeting. And uh, these are coming from some of the key talking points of the meeting that took place from January 15th through the 19th of 2024. 
The first is that global cooperation and security are essential. So the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, warned we mustn't allow geopolitical divides to prevent global responses to global challenges, like climate change or AI, artificial intelligence, as he called for reforms to global governance systems. Notice it's all about changing, delegating all responsibility in the world away from national sovereignties to a global government. As you listen to the balance of the takeaways, you'll get that impression. We'll be right back. This is you. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Are we living in the end times? That's the question at the title of our guest, Dr. Robert Jeffress' book. He's going to be joining us in about 15 minutes here on the program to talk about that and the nature of what it means to live in those times. Seeing then that all these things should be dissolved, as the Apostle Peter said, how should we then live? What should we do? What can we do? Should we just stress out? Or is there something else that we should be called to do and to be? In this segment, we're talking about the takeaways from the Davos World Economic Forum annual meeting. The first was, we need a complete global response to reform global governance systems, and that's away from National sovereignty. National sovereignty from the globalist viewpoint is on its way out. It's a dinosaur, they believe. Everything must now be localized in a world government. And everything is heading that direction. So, another says that stressed, they stress the need for leadership in tackling climate change even if it's unpopular. Now, there is another salvation message that we find in the Bible. It says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that that sin is corrupting creation, and has corrupted creation ever since Adam and Eve decided to commit high treason against God by accepting Satan's lure to agree with his viewpoint rather than God's viewpoint. So the entire world has been corrupted by sin. But that's not popular. We don't, pastors don't even want to approach sin today. They don't want to deal with persecution. They don't want to deal with sin. And so we just want people to feel good. We want to make them comfortable in the midst of their terror and their stress. So... Even so now, 
a whole new salvation message is being brought. We must save the climate. It's not saving souls. It's not saving humankind. It's saving the climate. That's the new religion. And it is a religion. So they're saying that the pastors or priests, the high priests of the climate change religion, are supposed to preach the doctrine of the new sin, the ultimate sin of climate destruction, climate change, even if it's unpopular. Then they also talked about disinformation. That was a big issue. Disinformation. Looking at the impact of more than 4 billion people that are going to be going to the polls to vote this year. 4 billion people, one half of all the population of the world, are going to be going to some sort of voting place. So they're concerned about disinformation. Well, what they're really concerned about is those people having only the right information as the globalists perceive it. So what they're saying is, and I'm looking right now at the words, they're looking at fostering global solidarity. Now, what does that mean? Those are fancy words for saying everybody has to say and think the same thing. That's how we're going to get global solidarity. Well, how do we get global solidarity? By creating a media system through governments and the various media aspects of the world to prevent people from receiving any kind of information that differs from the new globalist agenda. Anything that differs from the new globalist agenda is called disinformation. So what they're calling disinformation, that is, those who would differ from the global agenda, are actually the ones who are informed with correct information And it's those who allege disinformation that are actually creating the disinformation. This, my friends, if you would go back and read George Orwell's 1984, you would find that we're facing it right before our eyes today. The next fallout from the World Economic Forum is pushing for equitable distribution of the benefits of AI. Artificial intelligence. Enhancing, listen to this, enhancing gender parity, women's rights, or through the lens of health and climate change. Notice, the whole focus for AI is about carrying out the hyper-liberal agenda that is contrary, generally, to biblical belief. In other words, it's establishing a false system of righteousness, counterfeit righteousness, that has to be enforced and carried out by artificial intelligence. 
In other words, when the people who set up or program the artificial intelligence do so, they will automatically be setting it up in such a way that there will be no ideas, no thoughts that would be embracing a God-fearing approach, a biblical approach, but everything will be designed to carry out the nefarious agenda of a world government. So AI was a hot topic. And in talking about that, they were calling for a global approach to regulations. So in other words, there would be no ability of freedom with regard to people as they use AI, but global regulations. Well, what would those regulations be designed to accomplish? To make sure that AI was always used to create the solidarity that was necessary for unity in the one world order. That's what it's about. So they said there are ethical questions. Whether technology would affect what it means to be human. Indeed, it will. But they can't go there, not really, because they've already determined the technology is out of the box. Pandora's out of the box. The Pandora's box is open, and the technology is out there. So, here is the ultimate item that I want to bring before you. Urgency is our only savior. Urgency is our only savior. They said we have an existential climate crisis. An existential, in other words, the whole world is at risk. Well, they've been telling us that since the 1980s. But before that, they told us it was global warming, excuse me, global cooling. In fact, we were on the edge of a mini ice age back in the 1970s. Then it was about global warming. Now it's just about climate change because the climate keeps changing, obviously. They can't quite get a grasp on the dishonesty of their presentation. And so climate now has become, shall we new, the new salvation message. And just as pastors should be saying, there's urgency to people to receive Christ as their Savior and to walk with him in righteousness and in truth and humility and to prepare the way of the Lord in their own lives. Even so, the globalists are now saying what we really need is urgency. That's our only Savior to save us from self-destruction in the climate. There's no place for God in any of this. None. God is not even mentioned. He is a non-entity, a non-existent. He is denied in favor of the resurrecting human God, a God that we're making in our own image. And we haven't been far off from that in the United States of America, going back to April 5th, 1993. When, after Gulf War I, Americans were flooding back to church, and church would never have been the same, they said. 
Why would Time magazine tell us that church would never again be the same? It was the cover story of Time magazine with a cross on the front cover. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. Now, they weren't talking about the generation that was going to forget God. They were talking about the generation that already had forgotten God by 1993, which is the very year the Lord prompted us to form Save America Ministries as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation here at America's greatest crisis hour on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of uh, things that you might think are positive before we go into the bottom of the hour here. Mr. Trump, addressing the folks in New Hampshire, said, I will stop central bank digital currency. He said, I'm, I'm vowing to never allow the creation of a central bank digital currency. He's going to have a tough, a tough call if he were to be elected president, friends, because that's exactly what the globalists have in mind and have intended. They've already laid the foundation for it in nations across the world, and Bill Gates in his uh, patent that he filed with the U.S. Patent Office in 2020, is prepared now to launch that entire enterprise throughout the world. But here's a positive thing. A former Palestinian sniper turned Christian believes, a former Palestinian sniper turned Christian believes revival will break out in Gaza and thousands will come to Christ after the end of the Israeli-Hamas war. Hamas war. A former aide to the late Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat recently said that God's Holy Spirit is already changing Palestinian hearts through dreams and visions. He believes good can come out of the seeming destruction and pain. Despite the destruction that is taking place, he said, I believe God has a purpose to get the Palestinians in Gaza to wake up and look at different alternatives to what they believe. And he went on to say he believes hearts are turning to Jesus, to Yeshua, and confirmed a report late last year that hundreds of Gazans encountered Jesus even in their sleep through dreams. Well, it's the the agony and the ecstasy, friends. We've laid out the agony through the distillation of what happened last week in the World Economic Forum. The question hovers over us. Are we living in the end times? That's the question that is hovering over us here as we prepare to go into the next uh, segment of our program here today. I want to make Dr. Robert Jeffers' book available to you. Are we living in the end times? Uh, $17 will put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Are we living in the end times? Now, I want to, uh, before we bring Dr. Robert Jeffers on after this coming break, I want to just share with you that God has already, has impressed upon me 
the spirit of the end times going back to the age of five. In 1950, I was sitting uh, there at a uh, an Easter sunrise service uh, in uh, Kansas. My father was the pastor and uh, was looking out the window, and there was an amazing cloud, a storm cloud situation. The clouds were so fantastic that it was just almost unbelievable to me. And at five years of age, here is the thought that came through my mind. From what the scripture says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall behold him. Are you ready for that? We'll talk about that with Dr. Robert Jeffers in just a few moments. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. He says that in his lifetime, he's never sensed so much unrest in the world. It seems that every day brings a new set of terrifying headlines, and people are sensing that something big is about to happen. Well, that just may be true. In fact, I believe that it is true, and I believe that Dr. Robert Jeffress believes that it's true. However, we want to define it. Because he asked the question, are we living in the end times? Robert, it's good to have you on the program again. Chuck, great to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Well, are things uh, spiritually hot down there in Dallas? <laughs> Always. <laughs> Even when it's 32 degrees like it is right now. Well, I have a question for you. Do you guys all wear 10-gallon hats down there? <laughs> Well, contrary to the rumor, the answer would be no. <laughs> I just hadn't seen you with one, but I thought maybe you're hiding it. In any event, so, we've got some serious stuff to talk about, but you can, I, you and I can have uh, some, some good uh, pastoral fraternity here as we do that. Uh, in fact, going back, uh, I'm trying to remember when we first connected. Uh, you were pastoring there in uh, Wichita Falls, Texas, weren't you? Right. Right. Yeah. How long I has that doing been? Doing a lot of interviews with you over a payphone in Dallas. When I was in <laughs> Dallas calling you on the payphone. <laughs> how, how long has it been since you left uh, there in Wichita Falls? Well, we were there for 15 years, and uh, we left almost 17 years ago. So, are you kidding? Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It can't possibly be that long yeah. ago. Yeah, we're coming up on our 17th anniversary at First Baptist Dallas, and this is actually where I started out. This church is my home church. Uh-huh. I grew up here under Dr. W.A. Chris Wall and went off and did some missionary work in a couple of other churches, but yeah. came back home 
17 years ago. Well, we've got a lot of missionary work to do in the church today, don't we? Well, we do. A lot of churches uh, are apostate in their teaching, or they just avoid tough topics, or topics like the one we're talking about today, yeah. uh, the end times. You know, uh, there are very few uh, major churches, evangelical churches, that even broach the subject of the end times. They think it's irrelevant. They think we ought to talk about how to improve your marriage and how to be a better communicator and how to handle your finances. Now, the Bible has something to say about all those things. Well, yeah. The thing that Jesus is coming back again is one that you find repeated continually throughout both the Old and the New Testament. Well, I've been looking forward for, for that since I was five years of age. I know that might be hard for some people to believe, but when the Scripture says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, I took it seriously. Uh, some people me- think that means just a bunch of people, but uh, I-, I thought it meant clouds. And so uh, I-, I was deeply moved and have never forgotten that experience. But we also know that uh, he's coming visibly. He's going to come uh, very dramatically. He's going to come at the last trumpet. And uh, just as we already mentioned at Mount Sinai, when God showed up there before the children of Israel, he showed up with fire and shaking and a trumpet. And it was so serious, so shaking to these people who were the heirs of salvation through Abraham that they couldn't even handle it then. But the the Scripture tells me, I understand, uh, Robert, that that same thing is going to happen again except on steroids. Well, it is, and I call the Second Coming of Christ history's greatest event. Uh, everything else is prelude before that, and everything else after that is postlude. Now, I think it's important, though, you know, to understand, and I talk about this in my book, Are We Living in the End Times? One of the chapters is, what is the difference between the rapture of the Church and the Second Coming of Jesus in the end times? And I think those are two events that share some similarities, but they're vastly different as well. Well, Just because two things are similar doesn't make them the same. I mean, my car has a motor, my washing machine has a motor in it, but they're not the same. Well, wait a minute. Obviously, you don't have an electric car. Because if you had an electric car, it wouldn't even be working down there in Dallas right now. It's too cold. Well, my daughter has one. It's still going. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look. Uh, you and I uh, don't have a full hour like we would normally have, and uh, so we only have about 20 minutes. Uh, and what I'd like to do is focus not on all of some of the details that are just so uh, common uh, to think about concerning the end times. You and I both believe in a rapture, and uh, we, we believe that uh, believers are going to be caught up. There are a lot of differences of viewpoint as to when that's going to take place. But uh, we don't. We both believe uh, that those who are uh, ready and prepared will be out of here before God pours out His wrath on the children of disobedience. So, that being the case, it seems to me that what we really ought to be focusing on is being ready. Well, that's right. And I tell you, to put a finer point on it, though. One reason that's important to know about the rapture is to know that there's no prophecy that has to be fulfilled before that could happen. The rapture, the snatching away of believers, could happen before we finish this broadcast. And so, you know, that's why Jesus said we need to be alert and ready at all times. Isn't it interesting? Think- isn't it interesting that almost that half of the parables of Jesus were focused on 
getting people ready, not being lollygagging around, and certainly Paul talking to the Thessalonians, not climbing on top of some sort of a, a haystack somewhere and waiting for the, the coming of the Lord. We've, we've got <laughs> so to be about right. the master's business, don't we? That's right. And of course, the most important thing to do to get ready, and it's the last chapter of my book, How Do, how do We Prepare for the End Times, is to make sure we're personally ready, that yeah. we have the right clothes on, so to speak, that we're dressed not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you this story, uh, uh, Chuck. Uh, you know, people ask all the time, well, you know, people have been saying forever that Jesus is coming back again, and why do you think the end times are close now, and so forth and so forth. Years ago, when I first started working at Fox News, one of my first friends was a guy named Alan Combs. He used to be the resident <laughs> liberal at Fox I remember News. Alan Combs. Remember Alan? And uh, he, was, he was Jewish, but we were great friends, and he would always have me on his show and give me a chance to share the gospel. Uh, and one night he said, Pastor Jeffers, do you believe you're going to be alive to see Jesus come back to earth one day? I said, I don't know, Alan, but it really doesn't matter. He said, what do you mean it doesn't matter? And I said, well, I'm 58 years of age, and I know in the next 30 years, one of two things is going to happen. Either he's coming, or I'm going, but the <laughs> end is near for me, and it's near for you as well, and you better yeah. be ready. Well, you know, it's so interesting. that's why all of this matters. It matters big time, and that's why uh, I brought you on to talk about it. And, of course, the, the idea of the end times uh, differs a little bit, uh, various viewpoints, but the reality is uh, the last days began there at the crucifixion, resurrection of Christ, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter gave testimony to that. So we've had a long period of time, almost 2,000 years since that time. Yes. And then it seems to me that the next stage, there are three stages, the next stage is what the prophet Ezekiel talked about, the latter days, the latter days of the last days. That's and right. uh, we have not seen the Battle of uh, Gog and Magog yet. We haven't seen those latter days. And then there's another period right at the very end, which I, I suppose we could call the end of the age or the end times. So whether we, exactly which stage we're in, uh, we don't need to argue about because that's in God's purview, isn't it? Well, that's right. I think looking at Scripture, you can make a strong case that we are in the last of the last days. I agree. And the reason I say that is we can look forward to this end times that includes the Great Tribulation that is very painful for the world, but it gives birth to something wonderful, the return of Christ and his millennial kingdom. We can see things falling into place for those final seven years. I mean, you know, for... Hundreds of years, Bible scholars have looked at Revelation 16 and 19, the Battle of Armageddon, and said, why in the world would the world forces descend on this little tiny country of Israel that's no bigger than the state of New Jersey? It does, doesn't make sense. Well, well it, it we makes sense. What if happened it... At, it does after you see what happened October 7th. You can see how a regional conflict could quickly escalate into a world war. One primary military official said recently, we are just six steps away from World War III yep. all over this nation of Israel. Well, and it also makes sense when you see that Russia, China, and uh, the BRICS nations have now formed, and uh, they're about ready to receive uh, almost all of the remaining major producers of oil and gas into the BRICS nations block, 
which means that that is setting a massive area of the world economically and geopolitically uh, uh, against the West and also against the entire Muslim world. That gives well, every right. reason to justify what Ezekiel says, that they're coming in to take a spoil. That's right. And you know, uh, and you've heard this before, Chuck, people say, well, they've been having fights over there for 4,000 years since <laughs> God made his promise to Abraham. And what makes this different? Two words, nuclear weapons. Mm. That's what makes this different than any other conflict. You've got Iran that's virtually nuclear already, yeah. Russia, China, the United States. I think there are 13,000 known nuclear weapons in the world today. Who knows how many more there Well, that's are. really comforting, that's jo- Robert. Different. That's really comforting well, to know. <laughs> it is if you've got your ticket going out of here through faith in Jesus well, Christ. That's right. Well, you know, uh, for a number of years, I asked a variety of pastors and parachurch leaders on this program. We've had over 3,500 on this program in the last 28 and a half years. And wow. uh, I asked them, I said, now... Knowing what you know about your congregations and the church and so on, what percentage of the people in your in the churches of America do you believe are ready for the return of Christ? Would you care to guess what they told me? I would imagine it's a very low percentage. It was between five and fifteen percent. I think that's between accurate. five. You think that's accurate? Yeah. Only one pastor said, 100% of all my congregation is ready. <laughs> I, I don't think he's read the scripture and he doesn't know human nature. But anyway, that's what he said. And so, look, Robert, if that be anywhere near the case, we've got a big job on our hands, don't we? Well, that's right. And, you know, the Bible says we need to live in such a way that we're not ashamed at Christ's appearing. And I think, frankly, if Christ will return or we were to be taken up to meet him at the judgment seat of Christ, I think many Christians would be ashamed Whoa. of the way they invest in their lives. All right, friends, the book, Are We Living in the End Times? You can see that uh, Dr. Jefferson and I could have a good time talking for an hour about this subject, but we only have about 12 minutes left. Stay tuned. Get the book. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. We're talking with Dr. Robert Jeffers today, pastor of the Congregation First Baptist there in Dallas, with his new book, Are We Living in the End Times? And uh, it's $17. It's on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. 
or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, Robert, with 12 minutes left, there are several things that I want to uh, rather focus on here uh, that, that are in your book. Number one, you have been very active in uh, promoting uh, certain presidential candidates and so on, uh, and parties and so on, uh, with your appearance on Fox News and in other situations. On the other hand, just last week, you came out with a wonderful article. I think it was on World Net Daily, talking about how we cannot shift our trust from God to government, to a Republican Party, to a Democratic Party, to any political savior, to any presidential savior. We have got to come to grips with this. Speak to us uh, quickly on that. Well, look, uh, you're right. Our faith isn't in any human leader or any party. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I vote according to biblical values. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think what we ought to do is we ought to have the right expectations of government, the church, and the family. Those are the three institutions God ordained. He did create government for a function, and basically when you look at 1 Timothy 2 and Romans 13, the function of government is to protect us from evildoers and leave us alone to practice our faith. That's what Paul (laughs) said in 1 Timothy 2. Pray that governing kings and all those authorities would allow us to live a quiet life in godliness and dignity. In other words, government, leave us alone. Uh, Protect us, but then leave us alone. And And that's what I think what we do. We don't depend upon government to lead a spiritual revival in this country. That's when we're electing a president. We're not electing a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. We don't want a spiritual revival from government. That's the church's responsibility. <laughs> That's why your your article really gripped me, and I wanted to bring you on just to talk about that. But uh, we have a new book here, uh, Preparing for the End Times. And uh, one of the things that you say, in fact, uh, you have a, a chapter called How Do I Prepare for the End Times? And there are several things here. Uh, you say we need to be people of hope because hope right. need, uh, maketh not ashamed. What does that mean? Well, you know, Peter said in First uh, Peter 3, be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that is within you. Right. We don't do the gospel any favors when we go around gloomy, doomy, pessimistic, fearful of the future. No, we of all people ought to be most hopeful. When people say, I don't know what's happening in the world, we can say with a smile, but we know the one who's controlling what's happening. In other words, we ought to have a smile on our face everywhere we go. That's right, because the fact is, everything is happening just right according to God's schedule. (laughs) And all of this is prelude to the greatest event that we can look forward to, and that's the return of Jesus Christ. And it's also called the blessed hope of the church. But if it be true, Robert, if it be true, as so many pastors, and you have just concluded that somewhere between 5 and 15%, of professing believers are not ready for the coming of Christ, then they're also not looking for his coming as a blessed hope, are they? No, they're not. And they're not really thinking about their own mortality, because as I (laughs) illustrated before the break, the end is coming very quickly for all of us, and we need to live in light of that end. All right, you say we need to be people of insight. 
We live in these last days. We ought to be people of insight. Uh, we ought to yeah. be able to discern the time, shouldn't we? We need to be aware of what's going on sure. in the world. We don't have need to have our head stuck in the sand like an ostrich. Uh, there's nothing meritorious about that whatsoever. No. The sons of Issachar, First Chronicles 12.32, they were people, men who understood their times and knew what Israel should do. You know, uh, Billy Graham was a member of our church for 54 years, and he used to say, I like to have a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other hand. The newspaper tells me what is happening. The Bible tells me what it means. That's and what we've been doing for 30 years here on this ministry. You do a great job of it, Chuck. And, uh, again, we don't get obsessed by the news, but no. we're aware of the news. Exactly. People of action. That's the next one. We ought to be people of action. What kind of action? Well, that's what you were talking about, about not getting on our holy haystack, I think you said, and just waiting for the end to come. No. Uh, Jesus said the night comes when no man can work, uh, work while it is still day. And uh, the fact is, night for unbelievers is coming when it will be too late to hear the gospel. We ought to be working as hard as we can, winning as many people to Christ as we can while there's still time. I'll never forget that song growing up, Work for the Night is Coming. (laughs) We're to be people of courage. A famous uh, philosopher once said, courage lost, all lost. And uh, yet the fear of the Lord has been lost in our land, and so we fear man. That's right. And, And look, Jesus said, he predicted in Matthew 24 and 25, in the last days, persecution is coming. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We need, as you said, to fear not the one who can kill the body, but one who's able to destroy the soul and the body. I'm so glad you brought uh, that up. We need to live our life for an audience of one. What you did not know, Robert, is that I am now three-quarters through the writing of my 11th book that's called When Persecution Comes. And the chapter that I am now writing is a chapter specifically to pastors to buck up with courage and prepare their people for persecution. And you know, it's a strange thing, Chuck. We are exempt from the suffering that's going on that many Christians are experiencing around the world. Right. But we're naive to think that we're going to escape that tribulation. Now, I don't believe we'll be here for the final tribulation when God pours out his wrath on the earth. Right. But that doesn't mean we're going to escape trouble. Again, Christians around the world right now are experiencing persecution and tribulation, and I think it's already coming to the shores of America. All right. You are uh, you're speaking very succinctly. We have so little time, and I so appreciate uh, your cutting to the chase, uh, Robert, on these things. It's helpful uh, to me. It's helpful to our listeners, and uh, I just hope that they will be picking up on this and, of course, your book is going to be available, $17, on our website, saveus.org. You say now that there are three extremes to avoid in Bible prophecy. One is fanaticism, another is fatalism, and another is cynicism. What do you mean by fanaticism? I mean trying to set a date for Christ's return or trying to um, make something substantive of every headline and wondering where does this fit into God's plan uh, Matthew 24 is very clear. No man knows the hour or day that the Son of God is coming. No man knows. So we don't know the date, but Jesus said that's the reason to be ready at all times, since nobody knows. Well, I so think he said fanatic. we should know the season. 
we can know the season, but we can't know the day there or hour. There you go. And exactly. here's one to smoke on for a while. He said not even the Son of God himself knew. Well, that was when he was on the earth. He voluntarily gave up that knowledge. But if Jesus didn't know the date of his return when he was here on earth, I'll guarantee you no person on television knows. So we're end, ending up into a fool's errand if we begin to speculate on things like that. Another and thing that I read ref- the study of Bible prophecy. One of the things that I refuse to speculate on that is so seductive to so many pastors and other people is to try to name the Antichrist. <laughs> you know, it's like pinning the tail on the donkey. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. There have been all kind of attempts to name various popes, uh, Henry Kissinger, <laughs> Gorbachev. You remember all of those. Attempts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think there are people who are types of the Antichrist. I think Adolf Hitler was a type of the Antichrist. Yeah, well, so was uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. That's right. (laughs) All right. Fanaticism is one to avoid. Fatalism. What's that? Fatalism is, well, Jesus is going to come back. Why should I get hot and bothered about anything? I'll just sit in my holy huddle and wait for the end to come. And as we've already covered, the fact that he's coming back ought to be a motivation to work, to get busy while there's still opportunity. Is that what that song, K, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be the future's not yes. mine to see? Was that, it's kind of the, the spirit of that? too much. <laughs> Cynicism. Now, that's, that's a big one, because it's very easy to be cynical. Did you know, Robert, about uh, 15 years ago, a guy wrote a book. I still have it in my bookshelf, and here was the title. The Second Coming is Here Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the end yeah. times are here again. It, it was a mocking, in the name of Christ, a mocking, just like the Apostle Peter warned believers not to do. One of the pastors of the largest churches here in the DFW Metroplex I heard on the radio years ago saying, for 2,000 years, people have been saying Jesus is coming back again. Well, he hasn't come back, and he's not coming back. The first time he came was at Bethlehem. The second time is when he comes into your heart. Now, that was a leading pastor here in Dallas saying that. Mm-mm-mm. And uh, that's what Second Peter 3 says. In the last days, scoffers will come with their scoffing, saying, where's the promise of his coming? That's cynicism. We opened this program, which you did not hear, by listening to the Gaither vocal band back in the 1970s sing, The King is Coming. The King is Coming, The King is Coming, I've Heard the Trumpet Sound, and Round His Face I See, and so on. At the same period of time, there was a uh, very well-known black instrumentalist, Andre Crouch, who gave us another song and said, Soon and very soon we're going to see the King. Soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Do you find it fascinating, Robert, that those songs came out of the 1970s at the very time when, uh, uh, who was it? Uh, uh, his name is missing. He wrote the book, Hal The Lindsay. Late Great, yeah, Hal, Hal, Hal Lindsay, The Late Great Planet Earth. And uh, there were a number of things that came out of that period Do you think God was kind of saying, you know what, I want you all to be ready, and I'm going to give you a whole generation to do that? (laughs) Very well could have been. And let me just say to your listeners, if you are in a church where your pastor is not regularly talking about the return of Jesus Christ, 
you need to run, not walk, run out of that church as quickly as possible because your pastor is guilty of pastoral negligence. <laughs> Sounds like a kind of holy uh, lawsuit coming. Pastoral negligence. Bring it on. Yeah, br- so the best thing you can do is find a Bible-believing church that teaches <laughs> the second coming. The second best thing you can do is get a copy of the book, Are We Living in the End Times? There $17 will put it in your hands. Uh, a very interesting thing along these lines, uh, Robert. Uh, about 15 years ago, I was asked to speak to a group of men on a Saturday morning at a United Methodist Church. And uh, I spoke upon the then-time church, the now-time church, and the end-time church. I had a half an hour, and I thought, you know, that plays out very well. By the time I was through with the first 10 minutes, the men were jeering and mocking. As I got into the second 10 minutes, it was uncontrollable. I mean, I wonder, what kind of a place am I in? And then, by the time the time was over, not one person came up to me. Well, I take that back. One did. He identified himself as the pastor. And he said, well, Mr. Chris Meyer, I want to explain something to you. He said, the reason my men acted the way they did is because we don't talk about the end times or the second coming of Christ. We don't talk about any of those things here. And here was his reason. We want people to love Jesus, not be afraid. What say you? I'd say that he needs to rip out the entire book of Revelation and most of the epistles and the gospels out of his Bible. Well, you're a friend and a brother. He's a heretic. <laughs> Could you be more specific about that? <laughs> Thanks so much, uh, Robert, for taking the time for your extraordinarily busy schedule. I'm going to send you a copy of that manuscript when it's done, and you can take okay, a look I'd at it when it. persecution comes. Friends, the book, Thanks Are so We much, Living? Chuck. All right, press on, my friend. When persecution comes, are we living in the end times, friends? Yes, we're living right here in this season. Get ready. People, get ready. Jesus is coming. $17 will put the book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. God bless. Be a blessing. Become a partner, friends. We're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. This is, this is important stuff. We'll be back tomorrow. God you will. are listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.